Hello and welcome to the Antifada, where unrest is best. I'm Jamie Peck, and I'm here with our awesome friend and collaborator, Leslie Lee III. I don't know why I just spoke in the third person, but regardless, here he is. Hello, Leslie. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me back. Always, always a pleasure. I like you said a while back that we shouldn't step on your territory by doing movie episodes without you. And I really took that to heart. And it's really just a win win for me because I don't yeah. want to do movie episodes without you. Oh, that's so nice of you to say, and I, I appreciate it. And I'm glad we don't have to, you know, get out here in these streets and have our gang gang come after you. I mean, some rules are easier to follow than others. Yes. So, man, I don't even know where to begin with this movie. Um, I feel like it's a perfect day to be talking about it, though, because I feel like it's ominously nice out today, a phrase I never thought I would utter. And it really highlights the kind of uh, malaise that follows us around wherever we go in late capitalism. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's strange. Like uh, all over the country, it's like uh, 70 degrees and sunny outside mm-hmm. in the uh, middle of winter. Um it's not right. We know um, we're going to end up paying for it, um, but uh, we can enjoy it now while it lasts, which is, you know, a big part of what this film is about. Some people uh, are able to finagle their way to uh, getting some luxuries and advantages that under capitalism they quote unquote don't deserve um, and they know it won't last. But, hey, they enjoy it. That was a very good segue. So. Before we jump into the plot of this movie, I want to read a quote from Bong Joon-ho, the director. They really made the rounds uh, in left Twitter and hopefully beyond. I mean, yes, beyond, definitely, because it comes from an interview in a real magazine or I forget where it comes from, actually. But he, he talked about how he was sort of initially surprised at the film's international appeal because he wanted to make a movie about korea about south korea where he lives but um i mean he is broadly a sort of anti-capitalist director so it makes a whole lot of sense and he said quote all the responses from different audiences were pretty much the same which made me realize that the topic was universal in fact essentially we all live in the same country called capitalism yes perfect uh quote that really you know gets at why this film has resonated so much uh, with people inter- internationally. He's made a couple other films that have as well, Snowpiercer, in particular, yeah. um, that, which actually starred uh, Captain America, uh, Chris Evans, was also about uh, the horrors of capitalism and was a very inventive, interesting uh, sci-fi uh, type parable. Yeah, I really liked that film. Also, um, Okja really spoke to the vegan in me. I was a vegan for a long time and it's got some animal rights and ecology issues as well as like just being a very fun big budget thriller with um, none other than Tilda Swinton and Jake Gyllenhaal playing two of the main characters. Yeah, he Bong Joon-ho, he has quite a resume of of, you know, fantastic films. I haven't seen uh everything, but my god, people do uh swear by Barking Dogs, uh Never Bite and Memories of Murder, which everybody's telling me is just like Zodiac but better and I 100% um uh believe that. But yeah, he's uh probably one of the finest directors uh going out there right now i loved his other uh if you like parasite another family drama he did was called mother which is really um just a fantastic film a real picture a real picture and people are responding uh to parasite uh even more than any of his other films i think and it's getting lauded by you know all these big wigs in hollywood all the rich people that the film is actually uh, about and criticizing mm-hmm. they all like it too uh somehow mm-hmm. uh and and they're even like talking about already fast tracking the remake fast tracking a like hbo miniseries yeah. uh sequel to how's it. that gonna work so, um, I don't know. They'll figure out a way to ruin it. I'm sure mm-hmm. that's what uh, <laughs> modern Hollywood is very uh, good at draining any life out of uh, these original ideas and creators. So I'm sure they'll find a way to uh, exploit and destroy um, Parasite and Mong Juho. I I'm still going to watch it, but you're probably right. Um, before we go any further, I want to warn everybody 
that this episode has spoilers in it. And normally I don't think that spoilers should matter. I think it's kind of a dumb thing to be concerned about if you're like appreciating a piece of art. You know, it's not just about, ooh, what happens at the end? But like, I feel like for this movie, it actually does matter. Like, I think people should go into this movie knowing as little about it as possible. Do you agree? Yeah, I knew nothing about this film uh, going in except that Bong Joon-ho made it, so uh, I was down. Um, yeah, the less you know going in, the better, because it is, um, at its core, kind of a, a thriller, uh, so you don't want to know what twists and turns it's uh, taking too soon. Yeah, so uh, listen at your own risk if uh, if you haven't seen this movie yet, and uh, don't come crying to us if you disobey the spoiler alert, and then the movie gets spoiled for you. Yeah. So yeah. this film, this parasite, 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 uh, let's start at the beginning. We are introduced to the Kim family. Um, they live in kind of a shitty basement apartment with a stink bug problem. Um, they're literally getting pissed on every night by some guy on the street. Um, you see from the initial setup shots, the mom was a champion shot put player. She won some sort of medal. Um while the dad, as he's when he's first introduced, is sort of like lying on the floor, being kind of useless. Would you say that's a fair characterization? Uh, yeah, a fair characterization. Uh, we don't really know uh, what's up with the dad. I think we find out later that he's kind of you know this failed uh, businessman. But the main thrust of it is this is a family that you know had the it, opportunity has passed him by. You yeah, know, it's uh, it's over for the parents. Um, it's about to be over for the children, and you know this is just one of those uh, one of these families that falls to the cracks, and that um, you don't make movies about because they're not you know successful uh, people who have who are and they don't really have anything. Yeah, but what they do have is each other. Uh, yes. You get a sense from the beginning the family really sticks together. Um, they all work together folding pizza boxes for a living and they're not very good at it but you know they try their best and then a friend appears and i guess he's a friend of the son i'm sorry that i'm not using their actual names i'm just going to butcher their pronunciation which i feel like might actually be worse than um not doing it at all uh you can if you want to leslie i guess that's just the the risky run when you make a movie that's appealing to like dumb Americans. I, uh, if it was j- a Japanese film, I absolutely, but uh, Korean, my pronunciation is not that great yet. All right. Fair enough. So sorry about that. Um, but yes, the friend appears and he wants the son to take over his tutoring job uh, to keep the other college guys from basically defiling the student, the girl who he wants to be his girlfriend when she gets old enough, which is, you know, quite honorable of him, I think. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny and also like a fairly like typical uh, thing because there's oh, um, and uh, this is something that Japan and Korea share. They have tons and tons of these tutoring programs and services where you know, older students, slightly older students, will tutor slightly uh, younger students. And uh, sometimes love does bloom on the battlefield mm-hmm. or um, in the tutoring uh, classroom. It happens. There's actually is a, is a funny thing because, like, there's a lot of, like, even young high school teachers in Japan who eventually marry their students. Hmm. Kind of creepy, but, like, yeah, you know, it, they, like, have teachers that are, like, 22. Yeah. Um, so things that do happen. Oh, I, I used to teach in one of those um, Chinese cramp schools, actually, when oh, I was really? in college. So I'm familiar with this culture. I'm sure it's a little bit different the way they do it in New York. But uh, yeah, I taught it to different schools, one in Sheepshead Bay, one in Bensonhurst, two summers in a row. And um, yeah, when you're just a few years older than the students, they do not always respect you. Yes. I got to say, that's like the creeping influence of American culture there. Um, some of these kids, not very well behaved. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, he gets a job. I could I could do a whole episode about that, honestly. It was uh, quite the experience. I was not very good at that job. But um, this guy, like, you know, at least fakes it well enough to uh, get the job 
once he goes to interview in this beautiful house with this rich, rich family. I should also mention his friend, before he leaves, gives him this giant rock, which will come to be significant later in the film. You know, the funny thing about this movie is, and we'll get to it later, because it, it shares something with the other one of the other big films of this year, which is A Stone. Uncut Gems is about this, the black opal, and uh, the Philosopher's Stone, I think is what it's called, has a big, you know, impact here. It also has something uh, in common uh, with Joker, another, you know, mm. big movie. But that, that's, that, that's coming down the line uh, later. Oh, yeah. I've got some thoughts on that, too. So I'm glad that you were on the same wavelength. Um, so, yeah. Uh, he goes to interview in this big, beautiful house by a master architect. They keep reminding you. And uh, he gets this job. Um, and then he also gets his sister a job doing, quote unquote, art therapy for the unruly younger brother of the girl. Yeah. So what we start finding out is that uh, not to mince words, uh, this is a family of, you know, hustlers. Maybe some might call them grifters, some might call them con artists. And once the son has an in, he realizes that there's an in for his sister, his father, and his mother with this rich family who they say, you know, aren't very smart or savvy and they can basically um, get all get jobs uh, working for them and taking advantage of them. So she's able to concoct this um, identity as like this art, you know, um, educator who, you know, works with, you know, gifted children who has been trained in the United States. That's a big part of it that she's hurt. She goes by uh, Jessica uh, uh, Western name and she uh, she, you know, is able to convince the mother that the son is actually, you know, some kind of savant and only she can uniquely unlock uh, his potential. You know, a big commentary on, you know, bougie uh, parents and how they uh, dote on their children um, and anything that children do, even if it's just like uh, scratch scratch and <laughs> on paper, um, you that's, know, uh, a sign of their, you know, genius and their giftedness. You know, I, I agree with you on that, but also I feel like the son's drawings are pretty cool. They are pretty good. They are pretty good. Um, so, but it, w- but it wouldn't matter if they were good or bad. I think is well, the that's thing. True. Like if, yeah, the, if the mother would behave the same way and be just accept, uh, susceptible uh, to this con. Oh, yeah, that's totally true. Um, I was actually reading an interview with Bong Joon-ho where he kind of stuck up for the bourgeois family a little bit, saying they're not dumb necessarily. They're just very naive because when you go through life as a rich person leading a charm life um people treat you like you're special and you don't have a lot of experience with people trying to scam you or do bad things to you or people with secret intentions like maybe the mom did very well in school uh the dad clearly uh, is successful in his career um they might be smart on one level the level that's rewarded by the society in which they live but totally ignorant when it comes to uh street smarts I mean, I guess you could say it, but I still think they're dumb. I still think they're if they're able to get, uh, you know, hustled like this quickly, uh, this fast. And it's, and it's like, you know, who's, who said that, you know, she did well in school? Maybe she just has rich parents who could afford uh, to get her tutors and when, and when uh, poor students uh, can't afford it. Uh, you know, of rich parents who can get her all the testing that she needs to get into the good middle school, to get into the good high school, to get into the good college. Same with the father, you know. Like, it, it, is she necessarily even that much better than the people, like the than the uh, Kim family? Or is she really like smarter and better than them or did she just have or did they just have all the advantages from an early age oh yeah i mean i think they're both very much both families are very much a product of their environment and it says more about the environments i think than it does about them but you know both things can be true i also had it written down like a question like do they deserve these jobs question mark because like no they haven't been to the fancy schools they don't have the credentials that they say they have but 
if they can appear to be doing an effective job, yeah, then what's the difference, it. really? Yeah, because we, we get the impression that the son is actually very good at what he, at school. And that's why his friend asked him in the first place, like, um, to do the tutoring because he knows that he's actually, you know, is a bright, uh, student, even if he didn't have the advantages that got, that could get him into a good college. Um, the darter is really just, you know, talking to a kid and like helping with his art. I don't know if you need a degree from the university of Chicago, uh, to do that, but that's what you have to do in order to, uh, get that job. And then the, um, housekeeping and the, and the driving, like the, they're talking about, you know, I, I really need someone I trust to do, to drive my car, et cetera, et cetera. Like you just need someone to drive your car, dude. You don't need his job is not to be your personal confidant as well. His job is to drive. Oh, and his job is also to not cross the line though. I guess yeah. we'll get into that a little bit later. But the, the emotional labor involved in these jobs is often totally unacknowledged. Yes. So when the family kind of, uh, I don't want to say changes, but like the when I was watching it, I was definitely like, oh, at first, is when I think it's Jessica, I'm just going to call her Jessica, uh, decides she's riding in the back of the car. She's thinking about how she can get her parents' jobs in this uh, with this rich family. And she decides to fuck over her fellow worker. And that's the first yeah. moment where I'm like, oh, this is uh, this complicates things a little bit because nothing is ever simple in a Bong Joon-ho movie, I don't think. So what she does is, I mean, if you are listening right now, you probably saw it already, but she leaves some panties in the back of the car which the mom who who was it who who discovers the panties oh the they talk about it the with each other does. the dad discovers yeah. the panties and he's like this guy is fucking in the back of the car <laughs> like i understand he's a young guy he's got a body he's got a sex life but like i don't want to fucking know about it he's just supposed to exist to me as my driver in this car and not be a full yeah, person he crosses the line that's that's a real crossing he of the line so they, Which, I mean, I'm sorry, if you're going to fire your long-term driver because he has sex in the car once, you're a piece of shit, I think. I think that's a, that's a one, but that's one sign that the rich family are like kind of assholes that they're, you know, not, didn't even talk to him about it, just immediately went to uh, firing him. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I would also say, though, I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but like, there are some people who came away with the take that like, oh, if the rich family was only like nicer to their servants, maybe they would have been good people or we would have empathized with them more. I don't think there's a right way to inhabit that kind of wealth and that kind of privilege. No, no. And uh, I, mean, I mean, that would be jumping ahead to mention what happens uh, later. But uh, oh, it's so hard. We see. <laughs> but it, Bong Joon-ho does show us that just being a little bit nicer isn't going to change. Mm -mm. So so they start fucking over their fellow workers. Right. First, they get the driver fired. Dad gets the driver job. Then they get the housekeeper fired and the mom gets the housekeeper job. And I'm like, man, that sucks. That sucks that they're doing this to their fellow workers. But like. Really, the nuclear family is the only unit of cooperation that this system will tolerate. And people are incentivized to fuck each other over because it is a zero sum game when you're living in a world that is completely subsumed by the market. So actually, it makes a whole lot of sense on a realistic level. Yeah, I, I a lot of people watch this film and like look and look and thought it made the Kims look too bad. I'm like, no, this is what. I, I think a lot of people would be willing to do to make sure that their family uh, survives and thrives and has the money and the health care and the medicine they live. They, like the, the conditions that the Kims are living in is there are horrible. And we find out how horrible later, you know, uh, it ends up being for them. Like, no, people push to the brink. This is they're, they're pushed to the brink by the system to going uh, mm -hmm. this far. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I also like it when they talk about oh are we there yet yeah sure we're there yet i'll get us there so <laughs> so they all have these jobs right working for the rich family it's pretty good and one 
weekend, the family goes away. So they get to hang out and have a little party in their house, drinking their fancy Japanese whiskey, eating their delicious snacks. Even the dog's snacks are like pretty good because I think one of the characters starts eating those and she's like, oh, haha, these are for the dog, whatever. Um, (laughs) they, They play at fighting each other at one point, which is also a bit of foreshadowing. Um, but they're talking about how, oh, they're so rich, but they're so nice. And then it's one of one of the women, the mother or the daughter says, like, when you're that rich, it's easy to be easy nice. Easy to be nice. Yes. Money smooths everything over. And th- that feels very true. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's, if you have a bunch of money, it's easy to donate to charity. If you have a bunch of money... It's easy to be kind, to be breezy, and like I've to be. I've met you know a lot of you know well-to-do people who have that demeanor. Most of them don't. Most of them are pieces of shit. Uh, most of them are still cruel, petty, incredibly cheap, incredibly cheap. But every once in a while, you meet a rich person who is you know kind of nice and easygoing, gets along uh, with everyone. But it is much easier for them uh, to do that. The fact that the majority of them don't aren't like that and don't have that demeanor it's just a um, higher you know just makes the condemnation uh the condemnation on their class uh even worse i agree uh, i also think like the ideological function that these sort of uh fancy schools serve for people is like you i mean i'm saying that as someone who's been to fancy schools like you feel like you're working hard on those schools terms and in that class on on the terms of your own class and if you've never done a real job in your life if you've never done uh manual labor or service work um you feel like you really are working hard and you really do deserve the things that you have um i think a lot of sort of downwardly mobile millennials such as myself were in for a rude awakening when we graduated our fancy schools and then we're working as bartenders and baristas or you know even nude models for the first time and they were like oh this is actually what work feels like uh yes i don't have the experience with new modeling but i can (laughs) (laughs) offer experience with the server it sucks it sucks it's uh bad and um Rich people have no idea what it's like to work hard. I love to say, and I'm sure this isn't a unique observation, that like everybody talks about like whenever we talk about CEO compensation, these motherfuckers who make millions upon millions, tens of millions of dollars every year. I'm like, the janitor at that job works harder than the fucking CEO. Have you seen the new Star Wars movie? Are you telling me that the janitor over there at Disney couldn't have come up with something better to spend you know 500 million dollars making and promoting and would have made more money you can't possibly tell me that bob Iger is the hardest working man at that company yeah no fuck off we enter the second half of the film with the old housekeeper who they fucked over um during this crazy party that they're having super fun party in the rich people's house um they let in the old housekeeper. They're not sure if they want to, but they let her in. And she says she's just there. It's raining. It's like a very gothic scene. And she says she just wants to get some things that she left in the basement. And they're like, all right, sure. Come on in. Get your stuff. Whatever. And that's when things get a little more complicated. Yes. So they let her in and we find out that the basement has a bunker. It's like the basement of the basement. (laughs) And in this bunker has been living the old housekeeper's husband, who is basically portrayed as a gimp in the basement, right? He's been down there for so long. He's like, he's a basement man now. He's a total fucking bootlicker who loves the rich family more than anything else in the world. And I think is really meant to be sort of a pathetic and disgusting figure. Yeah, he's really, uh, he's got some issues um, that would come with living in the basement of a rich family. For some reason, he really likes the rich people, though, even though, like, he has to live in the basement because he's on the run from loan sharks. 
Um, he, his family has no money, even though his wife worked for this really rich family. And what we found, find out is that his wife was actually the housekeeper of the person who lived there before, uh, the current, um, rich family. So she came with the house basically. And, uh, um, so that her husband secretly who lived in that basement and he, she's, she was, while she was working there, she would take care of him. But since she got fired, she couldn't take care of him or, or bring him any food. So, so she was been like terrified, um, for the past few days, not being able to get over there. And we find out that she too used to like the Kim family is partying in the living room. She now that the uh, rich family, the Park family is gone. She used to bring her husband up and party and have fun in the rich house whenever the uh, whenever the Park family would go away. Which is a smart thing to do if you are the housekeeper of a rich family in South Korea that has a bunker in the basement. So. There is a Oh, and by the way, did you know that this house is not uh this was built by um the production team uh for the film. I thought when I watched it originally, I thought this surely must be a uh house that already existed by some famous designer, but the <laughs> production they made it just for this movie. <laughs> Could have fooled me. Just goes to show you, maybe architecture is bullshit as well. <laughs> Apologies to any architects or art therapists who may Mick be listening. Mansion Hale is going to get mad at you. I know, I know. It, I mean, it is. It seems like a nice enough house to me. I'm a fucking philistine when it comes to architecture, but I'm like, oh yeah, that's a pretty nice house. Could be, could be a real one. I don't know. So they go down in the basement. They make this discovery. There's a bit of a struggle, and the old housekeeper discovers that this is a family of four grifters pulling their own grift on the family so the balance of power shifts because she's threatening to unmask them by giving giving up their game folks this is basically screenwriting you have your main characters at their highest point at the midpoint of the film where they're all celebrating drinking and having fun they've won over the rich family everything is going perfect and then they immediately make them uh sink down almost to the mm-hmm. bottom by having the power taken away from them what they thought they've gotten um is now in complete jeopardy because this other fa- this other family of kind of also grifters has been running an even longer grift and now knows about their grift oh yeah the son is even like maybe i'll bury this girl and then i'll be part of this family and yeah. hire people to play my parents haha I'm not sure how that would work in the long term, but it's an interesting counterfactual. I think it could work because that actually is a thing, um, hiring people to be your um, your in-laws. Hmm. Uh, well, not your, not your in-laws, your parents for a wedding, uh, hiring actors uh, to be like guests for your wedding because of the social implications and the need to have this, you know, big uh, production. Damn. Uh, I don't know why I'm surprised by that. The world we live in is terrible. So right as this power struggle is happening and the old housekeeper does a very funny impression of North Korean newscasters, um, I feel like there might be some specific stuff about South Korea that like maybe went over my head in this movie, but not that. I thought it was pretty funny. Um, The family comes home early. The camping trip was a bust. It's raining out and they're coming home in I think they said eight minutes. So they all have to scramble to get the house right. incredible scene incredible tension in that scene oh my god it was so stressful and they leave these other two workers tied up and probably dying in the basement did i get the sequence right yes yes okay so yeah they scrabble around to get the house right they're like hiding under the coffee table and at one point there is a hilariously awkward sex scene between Mr. and Mrs. Park that shows the kind of uh, stiffness and lack of imagination and passion that the ruling class generally has. And also, uh, it's also, uh, they talk, they talk, make fun of the um, Kim, fa- uh, father of the Kim family um, for smelling um, because he smells uh what is meant to be like a signature of being poor and also while he's uh have while he's making out with the um wife he says you should go put on those those cheap panties mm-hmm. uh, we found which is like a 
really unnecessary diss to the dar there too is like oh your panties are bad your father f- smells all of you are like in every single way beneath us oh yeah she's like oh i'm a trashy girl oh buy me drugs buy me drugs it's like all right guys fuck you it, it like it's not enough that they're going to uh, oppress these people uh in their employ they're also gonna fucking use them as their little poor people cosplay <laughs> yes Ugh. so the family eventually manages to sneak out of the house against all odds um while these rich idiots are distracted uh and they go home to a horrible flood their house yes. is filling up with sewage water and we get that great image of the daughter just sitting there on the toilet smoking a cigarette as the poop water floods in around her. Because, like, what the fuck else can you do? Yeah, like, um, this, this scene, another, you know, brilliant uh, scene, but very, like, dark and sad. Like, everything that uh, the Kim family owns ends up uh, underwater and destroyed, uh, except for the stone. They're able to rescue uh, the stone. The stone, which seems to be growing in its importance. It's like, all right, something's going to happen with this thing, clearly. It clearly is not just a stone. So they somehow lug this stone to the shelter where they're going to stay in a gymnasium. And the dad has this great monologue where he says that the best plan, because they have this growing problem right they have these two people that are still trapped in the basement they don't know what's going to happen with that the dad's like don't worry i got a plan and then he's like actually the best plan is no plan because no plan never fails and people like them can't make plans because they always go to shit yeah um planning is for the rich Planning is for people who have a backup plan who can fall back on it they uh the kim family don't have that they kind of have to live life and take the opportunities, try to take, try and take uh, opportunities uh, as they come. And they thought they had a really good one. And then it ended up being all fucked up because somebody else was there first. Mm-hmm. So uh, this leads us into the great and shocking final scenes of the movie where they all go to the rich family's birthday party that they're having for their son. And the planning for the party is very important because this takes place immediately after the flood scene where you see, you know, hundreds of people displaced um, and living in this gym because they lived in a poorer district that's been that's been absolutely flooded. And the rich people, uh, she and the rich mother is on the spends the whole day on the phone uh, planning this little birthday party for her little shithead like six year old son. And like uh, and she's just having the time. And like it means nothing to her or any of her friends what um, happened. In fact, she says at one point, ah, the rain was a blessing because it's nice out today. The rain that destroyed, you know, the, all these hundreds, thousands of other people's lives um, was nice to them. It was good for them because they're able to have a nice um, party. Mm-hmm. She's just buying wine, joking about how she can't cook. Just being a real dumb bitch all over the place. So uh, they somehow get their shit together to make themselves look nice again. I'm talking about the Kim family and go to this party. But it's complicated because there's still those other people in the basement. Uh, Yeah, so they still have this problem and this this you know the you can tell the father is really like upset and pissed off um, cuz now he has to uh, the uh the poor father uh, Mr. Kim um Mr. Park asks him to wear like a headdress um and uh, play you know cowboys and indians with his son look and his son we have to be clear he is culturally appropriate native culture throughout this entire film um so that's a sign that the son's not going to be better the young son of the rich family is not going to be any better either oh yeah big time i like that scene made me so uncomfortable i'm like because that's just like the banner symbol of cultural appropriation to us in the u.s like if you wear a Native American war bonnet, you just might be an asshole. I'm like, is this cultural appropriation? Do they know that they're doing it? Is it different would, in Korea? I would think, um, well, from my experience living in Japan, and I think it's uh, somewhat similar and related to Korea. Um, you know, when you are, I would say, 
like cultural appro- understanding what cultural appropriation is of like cultures so distant from you where you don't have anybody who actually is from that culture that not that many people from that culture uh live there where you have a homogenous culture now this applies more to japan because japan was an actual like empire right mm-hmm. and so like cultural appropriating things is what empires do like there's tons of like reggae and rasta shops in japan you know and people who dress who wear like dreads and dress reggae or hip-hop or lots of indian uh stuff to it indian wear is there it's like i can actually say like in japan at least you know it would be hard to talk about jap like what Japanese culture would be left if you got rid of all the cultural appropriation it, and it wouldn't be, and it, it would be hard to say like how much was less because there's so much of their culture has been built from, you know, taking, borrowing, impounding stuff uh, from other cultures. I wouldn't expect it to be uh, terribly uh, different in Korea with certain, uh, I mean, just when you look at something like K-pop, mm-hmm. tons of hip hop influence hip-hop and r&b influence there you know it's like just tons of like this imported culture now korea wasn't a imperial power at any point so i think uh maybe the perception of it might be a little bit different a little bit more uh generous but uh generous but cultural appropriation when you just me living overseas it really made it difficult for me to really um how, how do i say be as judgmental about cultural appropriation because when you see it overseas and it's really like has no material effect on people then you start wondering like why are we so focused on it even though it does obviously has a lot of horrific you know problems in the uh in the united states when you're dealing with people who actually you know of are of that culture and are having their culture uh stolen uh stolen and sold uh right from under them when you're in like another country it's like you you have really it's really hard to like what so what's the problem what is the you know actual issue uh, underneath uh, cultural appropriation so i think more discussion has to be had around what does cultural appropriation mean in a global economy yeah for sure i mean i think we can agree as leftists that the far greater crime was doing the empire in the first place and so kind of remixing and stylizing various cultures mm, doesn't really rate compared to that yeah. So we have that scene. Oh, God, that scene. This jaunty Italian song is playing the whole time. Um, Bong Joon Ho talked about it in an interview. I think uh, there's some some language in it that translates to like kneeling on your knees or something, but it's like a love song. Maybe we can put that in, edit that in somewhere because I think it's it goes it goes very well or it or it clashes very well with what's happening. So it gives it all sort of an operatic feeling, almost like it's not really real, but very beautiful. So they're having this kid's party. The housekeeper, the old housekeeper is dead. Um, The husband, the basement man, who's basically a gimp, once again, um, has a struggle first with the son in the basement and then crashes the party right before um, the... I'm mixing this up. Mr. Park, rich guy, is asking uh, his driver, his current driver, to like put on these war bonnets and pretend to attack their daughter as she brings out the cake. And he like clearly doesn't really want to do it. And then he's like, this is just part of your job, man. Just do it. It's part of your yeah, job. Yeah, kind of gives him a little lecture. Which kind of highlights... Um, like the really uh, the really intimate character of the domination involved when you are working for somebody else in their home yeah like because you're never like really off the clock with them you never get to be a human being you're always you know subserve subservient in one way uh, or another yeah like they get to be fully human but you don't yeah like, you're a part of their life that they get to have this fully realized life, but you don't really get to have a life of your own. So I could see how that would piss him off. So Basement Guy has a struggle with the sun. The rock comes into play. First, because the sun brings him with, it with him to probably do some damage, but ends up having it used on him. Yeah. Gets Bru- his, kind of a brutal scene. Really gets his head bashed in with that very same rock he's been toting around, which... Uh, that like that's the moment 
when I'm really like, all right, this movie just got to another level of darkness. Before that, it was just kind of this like surreal madcap caper. And you didn't really think that anyone was going to die. And then you're like, oh, shit, it's on. Yeah, because he's been carrying it around um, after the flood because he views it as like the family's good luck charm because they had been very lucky since they uh, got the stone. So he's holding it on, hoping for, you know, another miracle, some more opportunities, a way out of uh, the situation where the um, basement family uh, has this power over him. And uh, kind of inadvertently, it does provide the way out by allowing him to get his uh, head bashed in um, by a basement guy true so then basement guy comes up out of the basement in a very creepy shot and fucking causes chaos at this party um stabs the young girl jessica i'm again calling her by her american name i'm very sorry um at the moment of her death and all the while this jaunty italian song is playing and amid the chaos Mr. Park, he's not like, oh, my God, are you okay? Like this this creepy guy is trying to kill you. He's like, ew, just give me the car keys and don't touch me. Yeah, because I want uh, to take my son who has what's, what happens to the son? Does he get knocked over or something? Something uh, minor. Yeah, something relatively minor happens to the son in all of the uh, commotion while um Mr. Kim's daughter has just like gets straight up like stabbed in the chest. She's literally dying. Yeah, and he's like, "Why are you care? Why are you taking care of her? Why you? Who gives a shit? Uh, Give me the key. Drive me uh, and my my son to the hospital." And and of course, Mr. Park. uh, He people don't know it, but that is his daughter there, and he's just like, uh, "What the fuck?" And um, then it brings us to the final scene uh, where he uh, he uh, Mr. Park, you know, has finally had enough. His daughter has just you mean Mr. Died. Kim? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Mr. Kim. Um, he's finally had enough, and his daughter has just died in front of him. So he gets a knife and uh, stabs Mr. Park uh, because Fair he's enough. a rich asshole. He stabs his boss, as uh, we uh, all want to do. So cathartic. Yes, but it does cause some problems for the Kim family. Yes, unfortunately, this is not uh, a lighthearted fantasy. This is the dark uh, drama. And um, when you murder people, you get in trouble for that. Yeah, I would call it almost like an operatic reality. Like the way that all plays out is very surreal, but it still obeys the laws of this late capitalist hell world that we live in for the most part. So the family flees and Mr. Kim... We all know where he is. They can't find him anywhere. He's in the basement of the basement. Yes. And there's this bit with the Morse code because a basement guy, you know, God rest his soul, had been doing Morse code to try to communicate with Mr. Park, the rich guy who he loves. So now Mr. Kim is doing Morse code to try to communicate with his family. And his son eventually comes by and sees it. The family moves out. So the house is empty because something horrible happened there. And we get this kind of epilogue in the form of this Morse code letter that he sends to his son. Uh, Yeah. Um, But before we mention that, we should mention the tie with the Joker. The son, due to his uh, traumatic injuries, ends up with the same affliction that Arthur Fleck has in Joker, where he laughs uncontrollably. Oh, yeah. So the son gets Jokerized um, by the ordeal. And and they are, uh, the uh, Kim family is prosecuted for fraud. And um, I don't know what else they could take from them because they'd already uh, lost uh, everything. But yeah, they uh, end up, you know, with nothing. The daughter is dead. The father um, is missing. um, But you know, stuck in the basement of the house and he can't come out or he'll be um, arrested because the police are hunting for him. And so his, the father is able with more so to send a letter um, to his uh, son in this, you know, very sad uh, ending. Do you think he has to carry around a note like the Joker? I wonder how that plays in a uh, South Korean society. Like, don't worry. It's just an affliction. I'm not really laughing at you. I'm actually crying inside. 
Yeah, well, I guess uh, Todd Phillips will have to d- direct the sequel, God. so we see um, what happens to uh, the son um, once he has, once he fully embodies the spirit of the Joker. They'll they'll pick up they'll pick up where this film left off, but uh, yeah, I found that the epilogue very touching because again, he's like, we're seeing what is probably a fantasy. I'm gonna say this doesn't really happen, but he's yeah. like, someday you're gonna work really hard. And make enough money to buy this house and then I will be free. Because once again, money equals freedom in this world. And we know that the rich can do whatever they want. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we see the fantasy of the son, you know, succeed, uh, finally succeeding. Um, but then immediately we're shown the son uh, in, the, in, the, in the basement apartment again. It's snowing out and he's just uh, sitting there. I think uh, looking at um, the note and we know that it probably won't ever happen. He probably won't be able to save his father. Nope. Sorry. We live in capitalist hell world. You have to, you can't get ahead no matter what you do. The only way you can get ahead maybe is by stabbing other people in the back, but that didn't work either. Yeah. But you have to be born ahead is Mm -hmm. how you get ahead. So I'm glad you brought up the Joker movie because I went to see this film with two of my liberal friends and they hated the Joker, but they liked this movie. And I was trying to figure out why. And they said the best they could come up with is because the wrongs and the disrespect felt more personal in this movie, right? They don't see the violence and disrespect inherent in the system as violence on the same level that we do as leftists. And I had to tell them in no uncertain terms, that they were wrong and directed them to listen to your episode on The Joker, where you deliver all of the correct takes. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, uh, Jamie. But yeah, like, uh, wow, you know, that's a key for me that they felt the wrongs in this film were personal, that these rich people were, that the problem was these rich people were, uh, the Parks were mean to the Kims. Mm -hmm. And like, I, you know, you you can't really have that reading of the Joker, because I, I mean, I guess you could, but you got, uh, no, no, you really can't, because the first people he kills are like three random, like, Wall Street guys who pick on him, you know, it's not, um, and, you know, the there's a revolution going on in the background of the film with a bunch of people who are mad explicitly at the system, explicitly at wealth, not just one or two rich people who are personally mad at them. I think that's a lot easier to process like, oh, this is about one family against another family instead of this is about one family against uh a society uh, that has wronged them. And that society happens to be um, the society we live in right now. And we convinced ourselves is just and fair somehow. Like, yeah, uh, I think that's you. you uh, if you I mean, if you're a liberal, it's really hard to process. And I've said this before, the critiques of uh, the Joker, because my God, it's just another condemnation of, you know, everything we think um, is OK to happen every single day of our lives. And we let happen every single day. For sure. I mean, I think it kind of reminds me of our discussion of us as well. Like these are good left liberals they know that things are fucked up they know that shit is very wrong and there is a permanent underclass but they don't think that that ever justifies violence violence yes violence that's the key word violence 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 they think you need to vote your way out of this yes vote yeah like the arthur should have you know found a nice democrat to vote for uh against thomas wayne and that should have been the beginning uh and the end of it like no he's he feels violence all the time uh the kim family feels violence all the time it's not just when they meet the park family uh that they feel this while they it's not their anger is justified before they ever um, meet the parks and they what they have to deal with and what they have to do survive is ultimately uh justified by that violence that they're feeling similar to how the violence that arthur feels you know fuels his uh violence and his anger and he's not wrong to feel that way mm-hmm. but and uh, even okay. if even if the rich family were nicer or you know less tone deaf and asinine like i said before there's no good way to inhabit extreme wealth like that uh your very existence is offensive to the working class or it should be because it's predicated on their immiseration so 
I don't think that this movie's politics are all that different from those of the Joker movie, but maybe it translates them into terms that liberals can kind of use as a way into it. Best yeah. case scenario. Yeah, the, and the aesthetics are uh, different because, you know, Joker is like this gritty kind of 70s revenge thriller where this is, you know, very modern, very prestige uh, film, even though it does have some uh, bloody and uh, horrific elements. They save them for the very, very uh, end, so it's a little bit uh, easier uh, to process. But, you know, just watching that flood scene, that flood scene is the same whether the rich family is nice to the uh kims or not you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. that 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 same thing is going to happen and it and their personal you know mag- magnanimity isn't really going to mm-hmm. uh ch- change you know the material conditions absolutely um i also think it might be easier for american liberals to swallow because it kind of takes race out of the equation in the way that Americans understand it. I know a lot of people got hung up on the fact that the protagonist in this Joker movie is a white guy oh, yeah. who they've cast as sort of this racist, sexist incel, whereas it, when everyone in the film is Korean, you can't project as many of those same things onto the characters. Yeah, you can't uh, project our uh, our already existing um, but ultimately meaningless online culture war onto uh, Parasite the way you can try to do uh, with Joker uh, to dismiss it. You know, uh, funny thing is, a lot of people got really mad at me when I said, uh, I made this joke that's, you know, 100% true, is that these rich bastards love Parasite but fear the Joker. And it's just <laughs> and it's just a statement of fact. Like, Elon Musk has said it's his favorite film. Uh, <laughs> President Obama's t- staff of social media writers says Parasite is one of their favorite films. Um, who, who else? The uh, uh, John Legend's uh, wife uh, said it was one of her uh, favorite films too. Like all these rich people are really like <laughs> like and respond <laughs> to this movie, even though a lot of people have read it as like a direct um, attack on them and their life. But you know, if you're a rich person, you can just read that. You really can try and watch this, and you know, maybe close your eyes during the flood scene and think oh, this is about how I just need to be a little bit nicer and not as oblivious as this Park family. These these are the bad rich people, but I'm one of the good ones. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are wrong, and uh, hopefully you will realize that someday when we rise up and take your things. But uh, When we else? come up out of the basement. Out of, out of the basement. Not with respect, but with Mm-mm. anger. Indeed. So I also like thinking about this in terms of the tropes of horror movies. And it kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with the lit crit guy a while back, whose whole thing is gothic Marxism and examining the kinds of horror that society produces and what it says about that society. And in the case of Parasite, I'll see what you think about this. It seems like a normal horror movie, but from the ghost's point of view. Right, because uh. <laughs> normally in a horror movie, right, a bourgeois family buys a house that turns out to be haunted by some creature that does nasty things to them for no reason except because it's evil, or maybe it had a legitimate beef, but it's not with them, and you're made to feel empathy for this bourgeois family. But in this movie, we're seeing it from the ghost's point of view. And the husband in the basement is literally described as a ghost by the rich mom at one point in time because that's what her son thought it was when he saw him. Um, Also, the way the servants are expected to exist in this house is very much ghost-like. They're supposed to be seen and not heard as they perform all of these intimate tasks all up in the family's intimate spaces. Uh, They're supposed to leave as small a footprint as possible, right? They're not supposed to smell. They're not supposed to get sick. They're not supposed to fuck, at least in any way that the family has to know about. And uh, Mr. Park even expresses annoyance at one point, the amount of food that the housekeeper ate, as if that was at all a material consideration for him. Yeah, yeah, like they're they're uh, meant to the lower class are meant to be um, helpful, friendly ghosts like Casper's. Um, but this film suggests that maybe they're more like uh, if, if you if you know 
if you know that's why another maybe that's another reason why rich people can enjoy this film because it's like a, a parable a, a parable uh for them a warning for them a ghost a bedtime ghost story for them like mm-hmm. if you're one of the bad rich people one of the good ghosts uh will mm-hmm. turn bad and haunt you mm-hmm. but then it sort of complicates things when the ghosts themselves are haunted by this extra substratum of ghosts (laughs) in the basement of the basement right so it's not just an upstairs downstairs thing anymore it's like upstairs downstairs and then super downstairs and i feel empathy for those ghosts too it's like if your ghost has a ghost you just might be in bong joon ho's fictional universe so (laughs) what are we supposed to do with that uh, I guess I guess we're just supposed to, you know, uh, applaud a master at his craft who was able to come up with this really uh, unique and inventive uh, premise for a film that mostly takes place in uh, one house. True truth. I also wanted to ask you about the title of the film because. I think we're meant to see various forms of parasitism throughout the film and ask ourselves, who is the parasite really? Yeah, I think ultimately we're supposed to, I think from what uh, Bong Joon-ho has said, we're supposed to take kind of everyone as a parasite on everyone else. But of course, you know, the Park family are the ones who are really, you know, the source of all uh, this suffering because they've hoarded they have all the food they have all the resources literally we see shots of their cabinets of food come repeatedly uh throughout this uh film we see oh, so much all, food all their you know wealth on display so of course you know the um the housekeeper's family and the kim family are going to come and try to get some of that food too that you literally have on display in your big house with glass front like you're showing it off to everyone who passes by all you have of course other people who have nothing are going to try and come and get some Oh, yeah. What does the basement guy do the second he gets out? He chugs a whole jar of that plum extract, which I'm sure is delicious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like people are like people like you literally it's literally a movie about a starving guy in the basement because we we don't know like for that once the housekeeper leaves that the guy is in the basement. But he's just been starving this whole time um, without any food for most of the film. He's starving and has nothing. And he's just a few feet away of like a smorgasbord. Mm-hmm. Much like, I'm sure, I mean, I haven't been to Seoul, I don't know a lot about it, but like any major cosmopolitan city, I'm sure you have scenes of immense wealth existing not too far away from scenes of incredible poverty. And it's just like, why? Why? It doesn't have to be this way. But the way that we get from there to here or from here to somewhere better is very much up for debate still. Um, well, you know, it perhaps is still up for debate, but, um, I personally have, uh, feel like, you know, the sun got jokerized in, in this movie. And I feel like, you know, that was Bong Joon-ho telling us that we need to go the Joker route and just start, um, painting some houses. Mm. I like where your mind's at and I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> being a, you know... I'm a little biased being a communist podcast, but I feel like maybe I'm getting better at this or maybe Bong Joon-ho, it just more aligns better with my uh, my politics because I feel like sometimes I try to shoehorn in my uh, revolutionary Marxism and here it's just like staring you right in the face. Yeah, and, and you know, it's worth talking about because I, 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 to be clear, when I talk about Joker, I don't think Todd Phillips actually wants um violent um left-wing revolution but um the fact is when he was making this film he was trying to get inside the head of what it would be like to be somebody um with mental illness trying to navigate in this world and you naturally if you take that seriously are going to come up come up on on your own with like a mark six critique of capitalism and neoliberalism like that's just a natural thing that's going to happen that's different than parasite where bong joo ho is coming he starts off with like a political um view embedded in it so you have these two very different filmmakers i todd phillips i'm sure his personal politics are no different than the park families um in uh 
in Parasite, um, but he was able inadvertently without, you know, you know, really meaning to create a film that I think has a pretty uh, fairly uh, good leftist critique of modern um, society. And But uh, Bong Joon-ho, he is a political film director, so he's coming with a, you know, a direct uh, political message, and he doesn't let his, that political message, you know, mess up uh the film it doesn't it's not just you know a propaganda film fantasy it still has you know these multifaceted characters that have some good parts about them some bad parts about them some real flaws some real virtues and all of them and that's why still you know aside from the politics is such a compelling film yeah and it really obeys the laws of capitalism as Marx saw them and as other thinkers like Rosa Luxemburg saw them, which is that, you know, this is the logical outcome of such a system. It contains within it uh, too many contradictions. It contains the seeds of its own destruction. Um, the question is, how is that going to happen? I don't necessarily think Bong Joon-ho is telling us we need to literally stab the rich after getting jobs in their homes, although <laughs> maybe, but certainly something's going to happen if things are allowed to continue the way they have been. So the moral of the story for all these rich people is you should probably vote for Bernie Sanders and donate to Bernie Sanders because that is the nicest possible way that <laughs> uh, like you're you're at least going to be able to stay alive, maybe if you fix the system a little bit to be less brutal. I mean, personally, I don't, I think it's going to take a little more than that, but certainly in the short term, um, we can incentivize that kind of behavior. Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, make, you know, find your rich friends, show them parasite first and say, you know, this is uh, one way it could go down for you and then show them Joker and say, this is another way that, it could go down for you notice you end up dead at both of those ways um so i just want to be clear it doesn't matter how nice you are you better uh start making some changes dead ass you got any uh any other thoughts on this film or should we wrap it up oh we can wrap it up i just um uh, really just think it's a fantastic movie uh, i would definitely recommend watching everything um bong Joon ho uh has done i am i'm gonna work my way uh, through the catalog uh myself he's just a fantastic filmmaker um absolutely amazing and um i hope he's not uh ruined too fast uh by hollywood's uh love of him uh. Well, you know what they say. Capital's never met a movement that it can't recuperate. I guess we'll see. We will. Well, On HBO you. this fall <laughs> with Parasite, the special uh, limited series. Yes, we will be accepting our kickback now. Thank you. Um, speaking of kickbacks and plugs, um, is there anything you would like to plug before we go? Of course, uh, patreon.com slash struggle session where we uh, talk about films, movies, video games, comic books, novels, all sorts of things with, you know, some leftist political analysis. It's what we consider the world's best uh podcast about popular culture and art um, please check us out we're about to start our new mini series on star trek we're going to try and Ooh. dive into the whole uh star trek universe um as soon as uh we're going to be starting very soon i'm um, we're still looking uh booking guests hopefully we can find somebody who's willing to defend uh voyager enterprise or who has actually watched them to come on and talk to him about it um, but yeah, please check us out. We deliver not one, but two bonus episodes every week for wow. just $5. Um, hardest working people in the podcast game. Sorry, but it's true. Two mm -hmm. bonus episodes every week. Patreon. That is a lot. Session. Wow. Um, I'm excited that you're doing Star Trek because I'm just getting into Star Trek now myself after sleeping on it for a very long time. I had no idea that it was so inspired by libertarian socialist ideas. So now I will be watching it. Um, I guess I probably shouldn't even tell you this, but I'm recording an episode with Swampside Chats uh, tomorrow. In fact, they do this thing called Swamp Trek, where they talk about Star Trek uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. So a little bit different than what you guys are doing, but hopefully you do not view this as a provocation. 
Oh, well, if uh, we can get them on to talk about freaking Voyager, I'll be happy because we're just fi- trying to find somebody who's willing to defend the lesser Star Treks to it, explain the lesser Star Treks to us. Mm. So I may have to be in contact with them. And hopefully, hopefully we'll will... have to work things out without having to get, you know, gang, gang, gang up on them. I will I will let them know. Oh, yeah. As always, patreon.com slash the Antifada. If you like what we're doing, give us some money, maybe. I don't know. You don't have to. But if you do, we have not two bonuses a week, but usually one, as well as a Discord community where our listeners can talk to us and each other. It's it's really nice. So uh, thank you so much for coming, Leslie. It's always a pleasure. And I hope we get to do this again very soon. 